Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. As it is written, excuse me, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are, all, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open, open sepulcher, with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God, but now, but now the righteousness of God, without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at, that, at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him who believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is, it, it is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. God bless you. You may be seated. I would like to read for you the Living New Testament version of this. Listen carefully. Verse 9. Well then, are we Jews better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all men alike are sinners, whether Jews or Gentiles. As the scriptures say, no one is good, no one in all the world is innocent. No one has ever really followed God's path or even truly wanted to. 
Everyone has turned away. All have gone wrong. No one anywhere has kept on doing what is right. Not one. Their talk is foul and filthy like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are loaded with lies. Everything they say has in it the sting of poison and poison of deadly snakes. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They are quick to kill, hating anyone who disagrees with them. Wherever they go, they leave misery and trouble behind them. And they have never known what it is to feel secure or enjoy God's blessing. They care nothing about God nor what He thinks of them. So the judgment of God lies very heavily upon the Jews, for they are responsible to keep God's law instead of doing all these evil things. Not one of them has any excuse. In fact, all the world stands hushed, stands hushed and guilty before Almighty God. All the world stands hushed and guilty before Almighty God. Now, do you see it? No one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what the law commands. For the more we know of God's laws, the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying them. His laws serve only to make us see that we are sinners. But now God has shown us a different way to heaven. Not by being good enough and trying to keep His laws, but by a new way. Though not new, really, for the Old Testament told about it long ago. Now God says He will accept and acquit us, declare us not guilty, if we trust Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we all can be saved in the same way by coming to Christ, no matter who we are or what we have been like. Yes, all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious ideal. Yet now God declares us not guilty of offending Him. Not guilty is in quotes. Yet, yet now God declares us, quote unquote, not guilty of offending Him. If we trust in Jesus Christ, who in His kindness freely takes away our sins. For God sent, Jesus, sent Christ Jesus to take the punishments punishment for our sins and to to end all God's anger against us. He used Christ's blood and our faith as the means of saving us from his wrath. In this way, he was being entirely fair, even though he did not punish those who sinned in former times. One more time, verse 25. For God sent Christ Jesus to take away, to take the punishment for our sins and to end all God's anger against us. He used Christ's blood and our faith as the means of saving us from His wrath. In this way, He was being entirely fair even though He did not punish those who sinned in former times. For He was looking forward to the time when Christ would come and take away those sins. And now, in these days also, he can receive sinners in this same way, because Jesus took away their sins. But isn't this fair for God to let criminals, or isn't this unfair for God to let criminals go free and say they aren't, and say that they are innocent? No, for he does it on the basis of their trust in Jesus who took away their sins. Then what can we boast about doing to earn our salvation? Nothing at all. Why? 
Because our acquittal is not based on our good deeds. It is based on what Christ has done and our faith in Him. So it is that we are saved by faith in Christ and not by good things we do. And does God save only the Jews in this way? No. The Gentiles too may come to Him in this, in this same manner. God treats us all the same. All, whether Jews or Gentiles, are acquitted if they have faith. Well then, if we are saved by faith, does this mean that we no, we are, we no longer need to obey God's laws? Just the opposite. In fact, only when we trust Jesus can we truly obey Him. Praise God. Thank you. Let's try again. Turn on the receiver there. There you go. Praise God. The passage of Scripture, of scripture I, that I've read to you today is obviously not a pleasant passage of Scripture to listen to. It strips away totally all credit that you could take for God loving you. <clears throat> you cannot say, God looked down and saw that I was a good person, that I deserved to be loved and therefore He loved me. You cannot say that I have done this or that and therefore I have deserved what God has done for me. It takes every bit of that away. Totally. But the point I want to make today is this. While it takes it away, for some of us we fight real hard to retain it. He does not take all of that away to humiliate us. He does not take away our desire to take credit to humiliate us and make us scum. But He takes it away in order to save us. For we cannot be saved while we're attempting to save ourselves. It's only when we finally face what we are, who we are, and the hopelessness of our condition of earning or deserving our sin that we will ever reach the place of allowing Him to save us. Praise God. That's the message this morning in a nutshell. I will spend the next hour driving at home. <laughs> If I thought you had it, we, I'd close the Bible and we'd dismiss and go home. But I don't believe it. <laughs> I'm not convinced. I'll tell you why. Because as I read these scriptures where it says all, that there's none good, no, not one. That there is none righteous, no, not one. That all have sinned and come short of God's glory. And I like the way the Living New Testament says, all of us have sinned and come short of God's glorious ideal. While I do that, the human mind replays all of the good things it's done. That's not me. Why, well, I'm a good person. 
why I've done this and I've done that and I go here and I go there and I, and I treat people right. And, I, and, you know, that's exactly what we do when God wants to lay it on the line and says, there's none good. There's none righteous. Oh, but, but wait a minute, preacher. I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. I, you know, I don't see it being this extreme. I don't see it being that serious. And what we do not realize is that by arguing with God over our need to be saved, we're not here today because it's a nice thing to do. We're not here today because it's the proper thing to do. We're not here today because we, you know, we're good citizens and it's the duty of good citizens to be religious and, uh, and, and therefore we are good Christians and the duty of a good Christian is to be here. And I am a good Christian and so I'm in church today because I am a good Christian. Hogwash. That's absolutely wrong. We're not here today to be good. We're here today because we need God desperately. I'm not implying that the simple act of walking through these doors, sitting on a pew, singing a few songs and bearing self or, or enduring some message is, is in itself or of itself redeeming in value. In fact, if all you've done this morning is simply sit on a seat and sing a few songs and pray a little bit and then listen, endure a message and wait for the end... When it was talking about they that endure to the end shall be saved, it wasn't talking about church services. If that's the only reason you're here, there is no value in being here. There is no benefit in being here. But if you're here today, as an act of acknowledgement with us, that there is no way that you can be your own Savior. And that try as you will, you can't live it without sinning it some, at times. And that you need somebody to save you. Then you can join the club with us and God's in the saving business today. He contrasted in these scriptures the Jew and the Gentile. Looking at it figuratively, what he's contrasted is both the religious person and the non-religious person. The, uh, the one who's attempting to do what God wants him to do and the one who seemingly could care less. And he's saying both the Jew and the Gentile is under the curse of the law. Because whether you're trying to do right or not, the fact is... We do wrong a whole lot more than we really do right. 
By whose standard, preacher? Not by our own. Because by our standards, we, we, we are like uh, baseball players. We go by batting average. If you, can, if you can be right three out of ten times, you can make a million bucks. And we're so used to that concept that we think God lives by that and we're good people if we're right three out of ten times. But God says if you offend in one point of the law, you're guilty of all the law. What do you do? You live right all your life and blow it one time. And maybe you, you don't ever make another mistake after that. Are you good? What about the guy that, uh, the computer technician whose wife left him two weeks ago? What I read and heard, he had a clean record. Was a good employee. Had never been guilty of any crimes. His wife left him. I don't know what he was doing with an AR-15, but he had one. And in rage over his wife leaving him, he killed a policeman. Now, come on. That's not a big deal. He only blew it one time. He only made one mistake. We can't feel hard at him. He shouldn't be in jail today. He shouldn't be going to court. I mean, you know, you can understand that. He was upset. You know, he'd been a good man all of his life. One mistake isn't enough to cause him to have to be put in jail, is it? Come on now. Exactly. Look at all the good he did. Look how faithful an employee he was. You can't hold it against him because in, in a moment of hurt and anger, he made one mistake, can you? That's not right, is it? If we use the same reasoning toward crime as we do toward our own selves and God when it comes to sin, the man shouldn't be in the jail today. Oh, you know, let's forgive and forget. No big deal. It doesn't matter there's a man in the grave today and a wife without a husband and kids without a daddy. No big deal. It was one mistake. Now, that's absolutely ridiculous. I don't see a person standing up agreeing with me. That's right, preacher. Let's go over there and tell him, let him out. You know why? There's not one of us who would want to go on record as being that ridiculous. And yet, you're sitting here, and the attitude you got toward God's Word is exactly like that. I've been good. I've made a few mistakes, but it's no big deal. It's not, nothing major, nothing tragic. Well, I've never committed murder. No, we've just offended the holiness of God and broken eternal law. And where does it put us? Where does it put us? Hallelujah. This isn't, it isn't fun like this, is it? No, but it, it'll get better if you'll receive it.
All of sin. None righteous, no, not one. None, there's none good. There's none that seeketh after God, the Scripture says. None. Zero. None. You know what? It is an incredible relief when you finally acknowledge the fact you're a sinner. It is an incredible relief when you finally acknowledge that God is right. I'm not good. I'm not righteous. I am a sinner. And I have fallen short of God's glory. Now that I've got that said, I don't have to pretend anymore. I don't have to pretend to try and impress anybody. I don't have to try to impress God anymore. I don't have to impress God anymore. I don't have to impress anybody else anymore. I'm a sinner. By myself, through my own strength, it is hopeless that I will ever do anything good or be anything good. And I certainly can't save myself. I couldn't keep the law of God before I got saved, and I can't keep the law of God now by myself. Hallelujah. Takes a lot of faith. Preach preach like this and watch you look like that. But I know where I'm going. <laughs> and you don't. So I'll 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 grant you that. <laughs> the Amplified says, Well then, are we Jews or religious people superior and better off than they, the Gentiles who are not even attempting to be religious? No, not at all. We have already charged that all men, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin and held down by and subject to its power and control. As it is written, there is none right. I'm reading from the Amplified. There is none righteous, just and faithful and upright and conscientious. No, not one. No one understands. No one intelligently discerns or comprehends. No one seeks out God. All have turned aside. Together they have gone wrong and have become unprofitable and worthless. So no, no one does right, not even one. Their throat is a yawning grave. They use their tongues to deceive, to mislead, and to deal treacherously. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction as it dashes them to pieces, and misery mark their ways. And they have no experience of the way of peace. They know nothing about peace, for a peaceful way they do not even recognize. No, there is no reverential fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that the murmurs, the murmurs and excuses of every mouth may be hushed, and all the world may be held accountable to God. King James says, and all the world may become guilty. 
You cannot be saved until you first acknowledge your guilt. If, if Governor Schaefer showed up at your house with a pardon for a crime, you'd say, I don't need this. I haven't committed a crime. It's a nice gesture on your part, but you've got the wrong person. I haven't done anything. I'm not guilty. I don't need this. And God shows up with blood. And God shows up with grace. And God shows up with love. And God shows up to save. And we say, no thanks. I don't need it. So what's wrong with some of you young people over here. You don't really believe you need to be saved. If you did, you couldn't do the things you've been doing. You couldn't run like you've been running. Couldn't do it. It's not serious business yet. right no thanks i don't need any salvation everything's just fine thank you no thanks but when when it's written and the word of god says it and it reaches the place friend that you see yourself as guilty before god and the weight of that begins to fall upon you, let me tell you what you'll do then. You'll begin to find some relief, seek for some relief from that stuff. You'll begin to seek out God. If, is there any way to be free from this? Is there any way to not have this in my life anymore? Is there any way I can be free from this feeling? Is there any way that I can live outside of the terror of having to be judged and punished for my sins. Is there any way? All the world becomes guilty. Living New Testament says, All the world stands, hush, stands hushed and guilty before Almighty God. The tragedy... Of not accepting your guilt is the concept that I can get away with what I'm doing. The tragedy of not accepting your condition is that we feel like we can get by. The Lord has said of Israel, Israel is sorry. Like a thief is sorry when he's caught. You see, there's two types of guilt. There's two types of remorse. There's the remorse that we feel when we realize that we have broken the heart of God. And we want to do anything possible to repair that. Then there is a remorse that we feel not because we've done something wrong but because we got caught. One, that's why Paul said there's a sorrow unto death 
and there's a sorrow in the life. That there's a godly sorrow and that there's a sorrow of this world. Godly sorrow is that which comes when you realize what you've done. Worldly sorrow is always preceded by the rationalization that what I'm doing is not so bad. I know that preacher says it's wrong, and I know the Bible somehow kind of says it's wrong, and I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I don't think it's wrong. I know the church is always harping at us that we shouldn't be doing this, but I don't think it's wrong, and I believe I'm okay, but when you get caught doing it, there's remorse, but it's not godly sorrow. Really, I justified myself so that I could do it. And I'm sorry I got caught. Because when I got caught, now I have to face the fact that others think I'm wrong. Hallelujah. Praise God. For no person will be justified, made righteous and acquitted and judged acceptable in his sight by observing the works prescribed by the law. For the real function of the law is to make men recognize and be conscious of sin, not mere perception, but an acquaintance with sin which works toward repentance, faith, and holy character. God's, the purpose of God's law is not to bind you. The purpose of God's law is not to steal your fun. The purpose of God's law is not to simply make you feel bad. But the purpose of God's law is to cause you to recognize what your heart is really like. And that realization will cause repentance. And that realization will bring about salvation. And that realization will bring about holy character so that you can live in peace. The way of peace they have not known. Let me tell you something, friend. The devil took Jesus to the top of the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, it is written. He'll give his angels charge over you lest you dash your foot against, to bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jump off. Now, some people think it's fun to jump out of planes and off buildings and stuff. That's okay. I guess with a parachute, it, you're not taking the same risk as if you jump without it. This, this month's Reader's Digest has a whole article on people that fell without them and lived. But if you wrote all the stories about those who fell without them and died, you wouldn't be able to put it in Reader's Digest. Encyclopedia Britannica wouldn't be big enough. He refused to jump off the temple. You know why? He said, because I'd be tempting God. Now, there's supposed to be a fun, a, a thrill a, that you feel when you're falling like that. Okay? But Jesus refused to tempt God. Do you know what we call fun is? Really? 
almost always the things that we call fun are things that we do that provide us the thrill of breaking the rule and thinking that we got by with it. You know something? I'm not for legalizing drugs, marijuana, etc. But I'll guarantee there'd be a lot less people do it if it was legal. Because a lot of the people do it simply because of the thrill of doing it and get away with it. It's a game. It's, it's I can defy authority. I don't have to live under submission to rules. I can do it my way and prove I can win. That's exactly the verses that I read earlier, what it's talking about. None good, no, not one. None righteous. People drive race cars at 200 miles an hour around a track. And if they get out of that car in one piece, that's fun. Because they went, they defied death. You ever heard of death-defying feats? It's not death they're defying, it's God they're defying. I can take risks and get by with it. And that's the way the law of God is. If we can break God's law and get by with it, there's thrill in that. that because there is, there is a, a, a feeling of deity that comes to the rebellious. Because if I can break a divine law and get by with it, then I must be like God. I can make my own laws. I've heard that somewhere before. There was one who said, I will be like the Most High. And what did he say to Eve? Hey, you know why you can't eat of the fruit of this tree of knowledge of good and evil? Because if you eat it, you'll be like God. And God doesn't want you to be like Him. So the root of all sin and the root of the breaking of every law is not that you don't think it's right or I don't want to do that. The root of it is I want to be deity. I want to be like God. I want to write my own rules. Oh, I realize that that certainly, that the great majority of sinners are not near that deep uh, philosophically to go through all that process. That's why God says no man knows his own heart. Because we go do something, we just go do it for the, feel, the thrill of it. For the fun of it. We think... But in our hearts, that's not the motive or the purpose. And that's the problem. The Scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the Lord responds to that by saying, I, the Lord, try the heart, search the hearts. I try the reins. You think you're just trying to have a little fun. God says that you're trying to be deity and write your own laws. Well, that's not true. That's exactly what he said you'd say because you don't know your own heart. You don't look deep within you and see what your ultimate motive is. You don't do it. And so the law of God is written 
to prove who we are and where we're coming from. Because that's the only way He can save us. Hallelujah. For no person will be justified, made righteous, acquitted, and judged acceptable in his sight by observing the works prescribed by the law. For the real functioning function of the law is to make men recognize and be conscious of sin, not mere perception, but an acquaintance with sin which works toward repentance, faith, and holy character. But now the righteousness of God has been revealed independently and altogether apart from the law, although actually it is attested by the law and the prophets. Let, let me... Let me make that verse live for you. Or let the Lord make that verse live for you. The scripture says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. God has... Two parts to his nature. He has the part of him that's eternal and cannot be bound down nor relate to time. That's, e that's the eternal part of God. The spirit part of God. That is deity, divinity. Then the other part of God is that which proceeds from God. It's God's thoughts, his logos. The word logos is blueprint. Uh, it's pattern. It's plan. It's purpose. And it is, and, and it's not mere thought because it's actually a part of God. It is the part of God that can relate to time. The law of God is part of the Word of God. That's why it says of Jesus, He did not come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. Because Logos has as part of it the Word or the law, because the Scripture says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but not one word, not one jot or tittle of God's law is going to pass away. So therefore, when God interjects His character in, from eternity into time, He does it through Logos. And when we view God and His character in relationship to the law, we see do's and we see don'ts. We see thou shalt's and thou shalt not's. But Paul is saying here that the law is limited in really being able to express the, the, the character of God and the desire of God. So he says the law the Word convicts us all and brings us under sin. But then now, there's another side of God that we see. And there's another way to be saved. He said, first of all, you can keep the law and be saved. But the problem is, nobody could keep it. For the Scripture says, the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. And so when people tried to keep the letter... Without the Spirit, it only produced death because they were not capable of keeping the letter of the law. So God's projection of His character into time through the law was not sufficient to save man because the de 
divinity and deity of the Almighty is far above the character of us whose, whose nature is of the dust of this earth. But when we all realize individually and as a body that we cannot keep the law, God has another plan. And it's the fullest manifestation of His character. It is the work of His Spirit in our lives. And we obtain the work of that Spirit in our lives by faith. Just faith. F-A-I-T-H. Faith. Simple faith. Trust. The surrender of self into the hands of deity that says, I commit myself to you. Do with me what you will. But now the righteousness of God has been revealed independently and altogether apart from law, although actually it is attested by the law and the prophets. The Word testifies to us of the Spirit. But it is not the Word alone that saves. It is the Spirit that saves us because the Spirit is capable of taking the Word, implanting it in our hearts, writing it upon the fleshly tables of our hearts. The Spirit is able to give us both the desire and the power to do the law that we are without if we're simply trying to keep the law by the letter of the law. Now, I, I, didn't, I didn't intend to come in here over your head this morning. And some of you, this is just not working for you because it's just not clicking. It's not making sense to you. That's fine. Sometimes you preach for everybody and sometimes you preach for those who are ready and need to receive this. This is not a message necessarily to sinners and new converts. This is a message to those who are reaching toward maturity, who want to grow in God. Because not only is it necessary for you to realize you, you are a sinner to be saved, but it's also necessary for you to realize that you're still, in your own power and strength, a sinner in order to grow in God. Because the last words of the Apostle Peter were, grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You can't grow in knowledge without growing in grace. If you grow in knowledge, it will intimidate you. If you grow just in knowledge, it will intimidate you. It will, it will cause you to feel guilty. It will frustrate you. It will keep you from ever desiring or being able to be what you need to be. Because if you're growing only in knowledge, you and God grow farther and farther apart. But when you grow in grace and in knowledge, grace is the operation of the Spirit. It, it's called the Spirit of grace. So when I'm growing in grace and in knowledge, the more I realize what God is, and the more I see what I am without Him, and the more I see what I can be with Him, then I allow His grace to work in my life. And He hath made us to sit together in heavenly places. I can't climb some ladder and get up and sit down in the, in the spiritual atmosphere of God. But He 
has elevated me by His own grace. My right to be in His presence is based on His blood, not on my goodness. It's based on His blood, not on my works. The works I do are the products of the uh, are the product of the Spirit. Not the product of the flesh trying to be right and earn something for, before God. It's the product of the Spirit working in me. For the Spirit to work, I must reach the place and maintain the understanding that without Him, I can do what? Absolutely nothing. Sin is when flesh tries to please God through its own self. Sin is when flesh does its own will. Sin is when flesh defines righteousness and tries to live by its own definition of righteousness. But you and I can reach the place in God that when we finally realize without Him I can do nothing. I cannot be good without Him. I cannot be righteous without Him. Without Him, I am a sinner who's fallen far short of God's glorious ideal. When I realize that and understand that, my friend, then I can allow the birth and the work of the Spirit in me, the Spirit of grace to operate in me, and He can produce in me the works of God, the works of the Spirit, where I could not live according to the law of God through the power of my flesh, I can do all things through Jesus Christ, which strengtheneth me, Paul said. I can do it when I finally submit totally to God, because His Spirit will do it through me. But now the righteousness of God has been revealed independently, altogether apart from the law, although actually it is attested by the law and the prophets. Namely... The righteousness of God which comes by believing and believing with personal trust and confident reliance on Jesus Christ the Messiah. Let me read that again. Namely, the righteousness of God which comes by believing with personal trust and confident reliance on Jesus Christ the Messiah. Believing with personal trust and confident reliance on Jesus Christ the Messiah. Believing with. Here's what you believe with. Personal trust and confident reliance on Jesus Christ the Messiah. I don't care how old you are sitting in this building today. If you're not living the Christian life the way it should be lived, it's only because you're not letting Jesus Christ do it through you. You are, you, you are not trusting Him personally, and you are not relying upon Him personally. All failures in the life we're trying to live for God happen only when we put our confidence for righteous acts in the source of the flesh, in the power of the flesh. Outside of that, we can and shall succeed through the Spirit. Hallelujah. Namely, the righteousness of God, which comes by believing with personal trust and confidence, reliance, confident reliance on Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And it is meant for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Since all have sinned and all are falling short of honor and glory, which God bestows and receives. All are justified, made up right, and in right standing with God freely and gratuitously 
gratuitously, gratuitously, by His grace, His unmerited favor and mercy, through the redemption which is provided in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward before the eyes of all in a mercy, as a mercy seat and propitiation by His blood, the cleansing and life-giving sacrifice of atonement and reconciliation, to be received through faith, This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He passed over and ignored former sins without punishment. Divine forbearance. There's not one of us sitting here today because we have a right to sit here. I don't care how long you may have had the Holy Ghost in your life or and I don't care how far you've been from God if you've never ever known God. Let me tell you something, visitor friend. If you're sitting here today and you are not a true Christian, the only reason you're still breathing and sitting here is because of the divine mercy and forbearance of God. The Bible says... God is not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The worst mistake a person can make when it comes to this patience of God is interpreted as a as being a license to sin until you're through. God's mercy and grace is only intended to give a person an opportunity to realize who and what they are and come to God. It is not His stamp of approval on your time of sowing your wild oats. It's a dangerous thing when a person gets the impression that they can sin and come to God and be forgiven. And that allows them to do this as a repeated process which which is an out an excuse, an opportunity to walk their own way and do their own thing and come to God when they finally are through doing what they want to do. Anybody here enjoy somebody just using you? Anybody here that really appreciates being taken advantage of? How do you feel toward that person that takes advantage of you? That talks nice to you to your face and behind your back uses and abuses you? How do you feel about that? You like somebody mocking you? You like somebody ridiculing you behind your back? That's exactly what you do when you're not serious about this thing. And the only time you ever get rights when you get scared. And if you're not scared, you do your own thing and live your own way. You're mocking God. And the Scripture says, be not deceived. God's not going to be mocked. For whatever a man sows, 
that shall he also reap. Let me tell you something, friend. I'll preach to this group of young people here in just a minute. And the rest of you can listen. The danger of being young and the advantage of being young is that you have an opportunity to decide what you're going to reap the rest of your life. Being saved and reaping is two different things. I had a pastor's wife call me the other day. She said, my husband and I are having a lot of trou- troubles spiritually. Not spiritually, but together as a family. We seem to do okay in leading the people, but our family's messed up. She said, and the reason is because we took liberties with each other when we were dating. And we've never gotten over it. Put it in the ground. You can be forgiven, but the seed's going to come up. You don't ever get by with it. You can be forgiven and you'll be saved, but you'll pay. What you put in the ground is going to grow. What you do in action is going to grow. Now, a lot of these folks are a lot older than you are, and they can attest to this. But be wise enough to watch and see and understand. Spare yourself from a lot of stuff. You don't get by with anything. Forgiveness is not being excused from the consequences. Period. You don't get by. I'm 42 years old, and there are a few things I did when I was a young person that never leaves my memory. And in those times that I feel like I'm most spiritual, the devil does his best to remind me of what I used, what I've done in the past. And that wouldn't be there if I hadn't done it. I wouldn't be giving him that kind of opportunity over me if I hadn't done that stuff. You see, that's the lie. You're not getting by with anything. You're not getting by with anything. And you know something? I don't know what it is about the character of bad seed as compared to the character of good seed. But good seed sure does grow a lot easier and faster than bad seed. I just went through a time of betrayal. By someone I trusted. And I tell you what. Eleven years ago. I had betrayed. Ignorantly. In my attitude I was right. Because what I was. What I was talking about was right. But my attitude and spirit was wrong. And the way I went about it was wrong. And for a couple of years there. From about 13 years ago to 11 years ago, I resisted this particular leader because I thought he was wrong. I sowed two years worth of seed. And 11 years after I quit sowing the seed, I, have, I am still reaping it. David committed adultery. 
And he committed murder or had murder committed to cover his sin. And if you read the years, the years that his family reaped from that sin. I thought God forgives. Yes, he does. He forgives and you are no longer held accountable for the eternal punishment of that sin. But I'm going to tell you something, friend. Eternal forgiveness and not reaping naturally is two different things. And you will reap. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you're going to reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, of the Spirit you'll reap everlasting life. Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Why is God doing this to me? I've heard that a thousand times a thousand. And I've preached where it was thought, thought ten million times ten million times ten million. It's not fair. Why is God doing this to me? God's not doing anything to you. Most of what we go through is totally the result of seed we've put in the ground. And you know what's so bad about it? When you plant a seed... It's sometimes weeks before you have any indication it's coming up. And it's in that period of time where you sow that wild oat seed that you think, ha, I got away with it. Because there's no immediate judgment. There's no immediate smashing of you. There's nothing, you know, I got away with it. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. coming up brother right that doesn't give me any hope what do you think i'm preaching like this for if you want a good crop you sow good seed if you want a bad crop you sow bad seed but you can't sow how do you sow bad seed when you trust in the flesh when you do what the flesh wants you to do when you go according to self-will when you write your own rules as opposed to the laws that god has set down when you do it your way friend you're going to sow you're sowing it and you're going to reap it the only way to overcome that is to stop sowing the bad seed as soon as possible and sow good seed and as soon as the crop runs out of the bad you'll start reaping good Worst problem that some people have with their tithe paying and their giving is they expect God, because they pay tithes and they give offerings, to never let them suffer financially. Not true. The seeds of giving are some of the slowest seeds I know in coming up and yielding fruit. Brother Tenney said it, this way. Do you want a mushroom or an acorn? A mushroom will come up and sprout overnight and grow to full maturity overnight. But if you're sowing an acorn, you're going to get an oak tree. But you're not going to get an oak tree overnight. Some of us want mushroom blessings from God when He has intended to give us oak tree blessings. But because we don't get it overnight... Then we quit. We give up. We give in. We, we, we fail in it. 
we forget it. Amen. Amen. Sowing it, reaping it. Be not deceived. God's not mocked. What hope do we have, preacher? We have a lot of hope. Because we come to the Lord out of faith and not out of our own righteousness and works. Verse 24 again. All are justified and made up right and in right standing with God freely and gratuitously by His grace, His unmerited favor and mercy through the redemption which is provided in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward before the eyes of all in a mercy seat and propitiation by His blood by cleansing a life-giving sacrifice of atonement and reconciliation to be received through faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He hath he had passed over and ignored former sins without punishment. It was to demonstrate and prove at the present time in the now season that he himself is righteous and that he justifies and accepts as righteous him who has true faith in Jesus. It, is to, it was to demonstrate and prove at the present time in the now season that he himself is righteous and that he justifies and accepts as righteous him who has the true faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our pride and of our boasting? It is excluded. <laughs> I'm saved and proud of it. And God is so blessed to have somebody like me around. And I tell you what, if you folks were like me, you'd be all right. I've had preachers tell me for years, don't tell your don't let your your congregation see your faults. Are you kidding? That's ridiculous. This is flesh. Plenty of it. Right here preaching to you. If God's not doing this, we're all in trouble. This is flesh, just like yours. And it's by far better to have flesh preaching to you that you know it's flesh than to have some angel preaching to you that you never follow his example and you don't have any idea whether or not he understands what you're going through. That's right. Hey, I, I, it'd be nice sometimes to be able to say, look at me, do it my way. I think. But what it keeps me from doing, since there's no boasting, is all I can do is say, do, look at him and do it his way. Don't follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. Let's follow Christ together then what becomes of our pride and our boasting? It is excluded, banished, ruled out entirely. On what principle? On the principle of doing good deeds? No, but on the principle of faith. On the principle 
of faith. For we hold that a man is justified and made upright by faith, independent of, distinctly apart from good deeds, works of the law. The observance of the law has nothing to do with justification. Or is God merely the God of the religious? Is He not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since it is one and the same God who will justify the circumcised by faith, which germinated from Abraham and the uncircumcised through their newly acquired faith. For it is the same trusting faith in both cases, a firmly relying faith in Jesus Christ. Do we then by this make faith make the law of no effect, overthrow it, or make it a dead letter? Certainly not. On the contrary, we confirm and establish and uphold the law. Where are you at today, friend? What is your situation with God? Well, I sure would like to know how to get free from all this. I'll read it to you. What shall we say then? Romans 6 and 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin, live any longer therein. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death. And, and that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be, might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Live a New Testament. Well then, shall we keep on sinning so that God can keep on showing us more and more kindness and forgiveness? Of course not. Should we keep on sinning when we don't have to? For sin's power over us was broken when we became Christians were baptized to become a part of Jesus Christ. Through His death, the power of your sinful nature was shattered. Your old sin-loving nature was buried with Him by baptism when He died. And when God the Father, with, with glorious power, brought Him back to life again, you were given His wonderful new life to enjoy. For you have become a part of Him, and so you died with Him, so to speak, when He died. And now you share His new life and shall rise as He did. Your old evil desires were nailed to the cross with Him. That part of you that loves to sin was crushed and fatally wounded so that your sin-loving body is no longer under sin's control, no longer needs to be a slave to sin. For when you were deadened to sin, you were freed from all its allure and its power over you. And some of us are saying, right. <laughs> sure. I'm dead to sin. The only reason we struggle with sin is that we don't realize what God did with us. And we don't have faith in what He did for us when we were born again. You see, this saving faith is not simply some verbal pronouncement. I appreciate those who have repeated the statement, I accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. That's a good first step, but if you stop there, you're dead. 
that's not going to get the job done because that's not faith by itself. Because the gospel, the good news, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus did to sin must be done to us individually through those three same steps. And if we will, if we will allow, if we will obey Him in those steps and have faith in what He did for us in those steps, then we can be just as dead to sin as He said He was. You that have smoked or are smoking and like to quit. How hard would it be to quit smoking if you were dead? You that have used drugs or alcohol and you'd like to quit using drugs or alcohol. How hard would it be to quit if you were dead? You that battle lust... How hard would it be to quit lusting if you were dead? If you could only accept this and walk in this, it would change everything. You are dead. Know you not? As many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Know you not? As so many of us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into His death. Baptized into His death. Do you know why we baptize by immersion in that Fancy horse trough back there. We baptize you by immersion or submersion. Because you need to understand that when you repented, you were dying. You, the old man was being crucified. And that when, when you were put under that water, it was a burial. It was not a religious ceremony. It was a literal burial of the old man. And when you rose out of that water, the Scripture said you were resurrected with Christ to a new life. Here is our problem. But I don't feel it. What does a dead man feel? He will walk up to a casket and say, Dear departed one, Are you dead? And they open their eyes and look back, back up and say to you, I'm not sure, I don't feel it. Does a dead person feel dead? 
that's about as philosophical a question as which came first, the chicken or the egg. None of us can answer it until we get there. But permit me to give my opinion. I don't think a dead person feels dead because a dead person can't feel. Notice, the reason so many of us struggle with sin is this. We see sin. And we go, oh no, I'm not supposed to want that. Oh. You're acting like you're alive. I shouldn't be doing this. Dead person doesn't do anything. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Let me tell you something, friend. If this stuff is just philosophical, if it's just some ethereal never-never land, then we're all wasting our times here. But if it is possible to live in that dimension and that concept, then there is hope for every one of us. It, you don't have to be, have a degree to live in that dimension. You have to have faith to live in that dimension. The Bible says we reckon ourselves dead to sin. Let me borrow your Bible again. Hallelujah. Somewhere it says that right here. Verse 11, Romans 6. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That word reckon doesn't mean, well, I reckon that's so. That's not what the word reckon means. What you're really saying is this, I guess that's so. That's not the way it's what it is the greek word there for reckon means to mathematically consider the facts and calculate the, the the situation and come up with this answer to your scientific approach to the situation this is this this the facts are these and this is it and i've done this and so therefore therefore the the the, the numbers come up i'm dead do you know why most of us are tempted because we believe we don't have any choice but be. Because I have not reckoned myself to be dead to sin. So I do not see myself as having power over it, not because I've got this incredible strength of, of will that says I see it sitting there, but I'm not going to do it. Very few people have that kind of strength of will. That's not what the Lord's talking to you about. But if it's sitting there and you're dead, you walk right by it because... The thing you're tuned into, the thing that you're alive to, the one that you're alive to, has that tuned out. If you're alive to Him, and by His own death you are dead to that, there is no struggle, there is no desire to do that. That's 
the way, that's the faith part of it. That's his righteousness part of it. Do you believe God wants to sin? Do you believe God can be tempted to sin? In the flesh he was. It doesn't mean he was tempted, but it means every opportunity to be tempted was presented to him. The Scripture says he was tempted in all points, or he was tested in all points, like as we yet without sin. You've got to reckon that you're dead. What do I base this on? My soul is still dripping with blood. My body is still dripping with water. And spirit still pulsate through my, through my being. I have been crucified with Him. I have been buried with Him in baptism in, into His death. And I have received the resurrection of His spirit and life. You get to exercise faith in that. That's not some nebulous thing you just lay out there. You've got to, you've got to confess that. You've got to believe that. You've got to walk in that. You've got to live in that. I'm dead. How do I know I'm dead? I was baptized. What does baptism mean? I was buried. You don't bury somebody who was alive. You bury the dead. When did I die? When I said, God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. I've broken your law. I've displeased you. I've sinned against you, God. Forgive me. And change my heart and mind. I was dying out to me. And when I died out to me, He put me in the water. Well, I don't know if I felt dead. It's not a question of feeling dead. The power of death and life is in His hands. If you repented, friend... He crucified you. Crucifixion is not an act of suicide. Crucifixion is what someone else does to you. So when I repent, I'm crucified. The old man. Somebody read verse 6. Read verse 6. Verse 6. Romans 6 and 6. No. Wait, wait. Read it. Knowing this, that our old man is... Is what? Crucified. Crucified. Our old man is what? What's the rest of it say? With Him. With Him. Our old man is crucified with Him. When you look up the Greek word for crucified, it's actually the translated crucified with. It means literally at the same time in, 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 it actually took place. In God's Spirit, since God's Spirit is eternal and is neither, is neither bound by time or place, when I come to God on my knees or wherever it is or however I do it, I say, God, forgive me in God's mind. At that point, there's two of us hanging on that cross. There's two of us hanging there together. And God sees me crucified with Jesus Christ for sin. I am crucified with Christ. What else does it say? That the body of sin might be that the body of sin might be destroyed. That the body of sin might be destroyed. Not our fleshly body. That's our problem. Because we, we know our fleshly body is alive. We think that, that, that we're still subject to all of this. But it was the body. 
of sin that was destroyed. I didn't feel it. We're not talking about feeling. We're talking about faith. Is God's word true? If God's word is true, and did you obey God's word? Did you obey God's word? Have you repented of your sins? Have you been baptized and buried with Him? Have you received the resurrection of His Spirit into your life? Have you done what God said? If God said it, it's true. The only reason you don't fe- you're not walking in it is because you're trying to do it by feeling and not by faith. And we've already spent the first hour this morning talking about that we're not justified by our works. We're justified by our faith in His righteousness. Well, I don't see that I'm any different. I don't feel that I'm any different. But God says I'm different. Who's telling the truth? Well, my five senses tell me that I don't, I'm not any different. So I will believe my five senses. Well, let me tell you something. God, the eternal spirit, says, I have died. I have been crucified. I was buried. And I've been resurrected. And if God said it, it's true. And I must walk by faith and not by... What? What? But what are we doing? We're walking by sight and not by faith. Well, that's the... Dead to sin. I'm not dead to sin. Everything comes along, I want to do it. God doesn't know what He's talking about. No, you don't know what you're talking about. Because you're not going to believe it till you see it. But God, you're not going to see it till you believe it. You're not going to believe it till you see it. But you're not going to see it till you believe it. I'm dead. I'm not living this life through my flesh. I'm a sinner. And I've been crucified with Jesus Christ. My old body of sin was buried with Him. When I came up out of that water, it was a new Chester Rite. I received the life of His Spirit into my life. And I'm not the same person anymore. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves... The Amplified says, even so consider yourselves also dead to sin and your relation to it broken, that ye are, but that ye are alive to God, living in unbroken fellowship with Him in Christ Jesus. Paul, uh, in the New Testament, says, so look upon your old sin nature as dead and unresponsive to sin. Instead, be alive to God and alert to Him through Jesus Christ our Lord. You've got to look at it that way. You've got to believe it that way. You've got to confess it that way. Instead of saying, oh, temptation's overwhelming me. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I'm dead to sin. I I was crucified with Jesus Christ. The body of sin was crucified with Jesus Christ. I was buried with Him. I'm a dead man to sin. I'm not living any longer in sin because I'm dead to sin. Oh, that's positive thinking. It's not positive thinking. It's faith. It's confessing that what God sees is true is true and that it will be manifested as true when we believe it. The 
problem we have here today is there's so many of you, us, who feel like there are some things we are powerless and helpless to overcome and not do. As long as you see yourself powerless and helpless when it comes to temptation and sin, you will live a sinful life. But when you see that you're dead to sin, and that the Lord Jesus Christ has forgiven you of your sins. You're not just forgiven, but you're dead. You're dead to the power of sin. You've been buried with Him. You've been resurrected with Him. When you see that, and you walk by faith, and you walk in the Spirit of God, let me tell you something today. You're going to find your life to be different starting now. The moment you begin to believe that, But what do we do? Oh, God, I'm such a terrible person. What, are we having a funeral over again? We're going to dig the dead man up and put him back in a casket and bring him back to the front of the church and go through a funeral service again and talk about how bad he was? He's dead. Leave him dead. God doesn't want to know all about all that stuff. All he wants you to do is to repent when you, when, you, when you fall. And the only time you will fall is when you don't believe you're dead. Our falling is not a product of the power of sin. Our falling is a product of our unbelief that we're dead to it. Isn't this easy? This is so easy. He doesn't expect me to go through life with blinders on. He doesn't expect me to go, go through life afraid that I'm going to fall here and do this here, make mistakes here and all that. He doesn't want me to go through life expecting that I'm going to blow it, afraid that I'm going to make a mistake. That I'm all, uh, He doesn't want me to live like that. He wants me to stand up right in His strength and His power and His Spirit and say, I am dead to sin. I don't have to fear sin. I fear God. I'm not standing in my own righteousness. I'm not trying to please God. I'm letting God live through me. You think God's going to please Himself if He's living through you? You think Jesus Christ is living in you is going to be tempted by sin? I'm crucified with Christ, Paul said. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. It's not me that's living. Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Hallelujah. I don't live even by my own faith. I live by God's own faith in Himself. That's why righteousness is by faith, not by your faith. He even supplies the faith for you to trust Him. All you have to do is receive it. The Bible talks about us receiving the spirit of faith. Do you think God doubts Himself? No. If God is living in you, do you think He's doubting Himself? Do you think God is less powerful because He's living in you? No. A thousand times no. What do I have to do? I've I've got to reckon. I've got to calculate and come to a decision that says, I'm dead. Jesus is alive. 
But our struggle is this. We doubt that we're dead and we doubt he's alive. I've got to believe I'm dead. And I've got to believe he's alive. And if I believe I'm dead and I believe he's alive. Hmm, my. What a different, different life we'll be living. And strain? There's no strain. There's no struggle living this. There's no struggle doing what's right. When he's alive and you're dead. When you believe that. This body of sin is dead. And he's alive. He's alive. Hallelujah. Is there anyone here who has never been crucified with Him? Ever been buried with Him in the waters of baptism in His name? Who's never received the resurrecting power of His life in your life? And you want to leave here today a new creature in Christ Jesus. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. How about it? Somebody here today... Want to repent of their sins? Want to be baptized in Jesus' name? Would like to receive the life-giving power of His Spirit into their lives? Come now. Not going to take a lot of time. You're either ready or you're not. Praise God. Hallelujah. Okay? Fine. Let's stand together. And we're not through with service. Please don't leave yet. Just another moment, okay? I want us to pray this way. Pray with me. Dear Jesus, I accept what your word says. And while my senses and my mind try to argue against you and your word, I know that you are eternal. I know that it's impossible for you to lie. And I believe your word today. I leave this place today, Lord. Dead to the body of my sin. For I have been crucified with you. I leave here having been buried with you, Lord. I, I was buried in your name. I leave here, Lord, having been resurrected by your power. I believe you resurrected me, Lord. To walk in newness of life. Not to walk in the old life. I decide that it's true today, Lord. I believe that it's true today, Lord. I'm trusting you that it's true today, Lord. I walk from this place today faith that you have crucified me to sin that you have resurrected me to life I walk from this place today Lord believing that I am dead to sin and that you are living your life in and through me teach me to walk in this 
minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. Let me walk in this, Lord, by believing you, by trusting you, and by thanking you. In Jesus' name. Let's give him thanks for it together. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's one thing to believe that Jesus is alive. It's another thing to believe that He lives in me and in you. You are not appropriating His power to you until you believe that He not only lives, but He lives in you. Thank you for living in me, Jesus. Thank you for living in me, Jesus. Thank you for living in me, Jesus. Oh, God, I don't want to walk by feeling. I just want you to live your life in me. It's not my feeling that counts. I don't walk by feeling. I walk by faith. I don't walk by understanding. I walk by faith. You said it. I believe it. Lord, work it in me. Produce it in me. Live it in me, Jesus. Not by my works, but it's by His grace. It's not by my works. It's not by my effort. It's by His grace. It's by the work of His Spirit. Hallelujah. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is produced by the Spirit is spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I am not being egotistical when I say that messages like this, messages like last Sunday night, are not fully appropriated without listening to the tape. Why? Because the tape enables me to meditate on it. I catch things I didn't catch the first two or three or four times. No, I'm not. I'm not trying to sell tapes. You know, we're not going to go broke if we don't sell a tape. That's not the purpose. The purpose is for you to appropriate this to your life, for you to meditate on it, to, for you to keep it in your mind while God helps you to understand it, and while your faith on it is built. And if you pray in the Spirit and meditate on these things, the Bible says you will build up your most holy faith. If you really want to live for God, the only way you do it is by taking His Word and your spirit and your life and letting them produce in you what He's producing. You cannot produce it, but He will produce it in you if you let Him. Praise God. The Lord bless you.